Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, look at this crew. They made it to the change of time. I wasn't too sure. I know some of us, like, you know, we're sleeping in, and it's like you look at our clock. Oh, my gosh, we skipped an hour somewhere. Thank you for coming out this morning. I know we got those online. They were still waking up, rubbing your eyes a little bit. I know. Welcome for joining us today. Hey, guys, um, just a couple of things. Number one, if you're new, uh, visiting us for the first time here, we just want to thank you for coming. And if so, we have a, a gift for you today. If you're new, in front of you is a QR code. You can either put your phone on it and, and register, or you can go to our welcome center just outside the door. We have a gift for you. We just want to get to know you and welcome you here. If you're here and this is your first time, we just ask that we, you give us three weeks. If three weeks, if the church, new vision is not the place for you, we want to help you find the place for you. And so I want to encourage you uh, with that. Uh, we have a little thing here as we're um, going to Who's Your One kind of campaign through the Gospel of John. Uh, I've challenged you, Who's Your One that you're going to minister to? Well, one of the things we're going to do during the uh, Easter service week, the week prior to Easter service, is we're going to go into the laundromats and we're going to go into the coffee shops. And really our heart is that we're going to go bless some people to do their laundry for them and just see what God does. Just show up. But with that, we know it takes a little bit of money. And when you go to a laundromat, you need some change. And so we just put a, a jar out here. If you have some loose change, we're going to do what? Change for change lives. And really what it is, throw some change in. I don't care if it's a penny, a nickel, a quarter. We're going to take that money and use it to go to the families to, to wash their laundries, to do their thing. And maybe God's going to open up some gospel conversations with the people that we meet in the laundromat. We're doing this at both campuses, and so we just want to invite you. You're walking out the door, hey, I have a nickel, I have a dime, whatever it is, because it's all going to go to help us just minister to the community. We're going to be at a couple of different laundry shops in the Cancel neighborhood, City Heights neighborhood, and we're going to see what God does with that. Amen. Cool. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the 18th chapter. We're going to continue through our study uh, through the Gospel of John. Um, we've been talking about who's your one. Last week, we talked about who's your one going to pray for. This morning, who's the one you're going to be bold with? Being bold for that one. And we're going to talk about that looking at John chapter 18, verses uh, 1 through 14. In fact, the word boldness means a willingness to take risk and act innovative in an innovative way, to be, to be courageous. In fact, biblical boldness is what we do when we lay down our lives for others. In fact, John, the author of this book, in, in his later book, writes this in 1 John 3, 60, but this we know love because he laid down our life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What are we laying down? In order to look and serve and be bold with others, we're laying down our pride. We're laying down our fear. We're, we're, we're laying down our, our reputation or, and, and laying down even our own identity to place our own identity in Christ. We're laying down something in order to be bold. In fact, uh, many years ago, there was a, 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 this Navy SEAL team. It's called Navy SEAL 6. And what they were, this was the same group that went after Osama bin Laden and caught Osama bin Laden and went in there. But this group was sent in to, into Somalia to, to, to rescue a, a, a gal named Jessica Buckton. She was captured by Somali pirates. 
And so they sent in the team to rescue her. And in flying in, they, they went in and they shot some assailants. They got her. But what was very interesting, what they did is they went in, they brought her. And as they were coming to the, to the site where a helicopter was supposed to meet them, they laid her on the ground. They surrounded the, the Navy SEALs surrounded her. And then some of the men laid their bodies on top of her because they were fearful of any random fire that was going to come after her, was going to get her. And they wanted to fully protect her by laying themselves up, by giving their lives up. They not only rescued her, but they actually rescued another aid worker in doing that. Now, when you hear that story, you think these Navy SEALs were such heroic people, but they weren't necessarily heroic. They were only doing what they were called to do and trained to do is lay down their lives for others. That's what our military does today. And I know we have some military people here and we're grateful for you laying down your lives because you're laying down your lives for other brethren. You're laying down your lives for, for people here. But I think in order to be bold, sometimes there's going to have to be a laying down of our lives. Now, I'm not saying in no ways now to be brave and to be a hero, you got to be a Navy SEAL. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this, that we have been called by God to be like soldiers. We, we've been called uh, to go serve, and he's given us commands to go serve. In fact, Paul even challenges the church to endure hardship like a good soldier. Faith requires boldness. I want you to hear that. Faith requires boldness. Paul the Apostle shared this about his life. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ. As I've been in the past, I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. Amen. The sacrifice, the, the love to be bold to tell others, right? You have to understand that boldness is really an expression of love, right? Boldness is really an expression of love. In fact, Lou Nichols, a famous missionary, said this, God is the source of love. Christ is the proof of love. Service is the expression of love. Boldness is the outcome of love. In fact, in our E4 purpose, in our mission statement, you'll see it on our wall to the left. You'll see it as you go up here. One of our E4 purposes is to express love, to express love to God and to express love to others. That's our part of our mission as a church. Our boldness is the key for the advancement of the gospel. I want you to hear that. Our boldness is key to the advancement of the gospel. God is looking for some courageous, bold people. And it will take courage. It will take courage when we, we go out to serve. It will take courage when we walk into the laundromat and we walk into the coffee shops and we go into the schools or we have the barbecues. It will take courage. And, and I'm praying that as you're just serving people and as you're just loving people, that God's going to start these gospel-centered conversations. Isn't that what Jesus always just did? Meeting a woman at the well, talking about living water, gospel conversation, right? Man of the pallet, you just need to be healed. Gospel conversation. Zacchaeus, let's go grab some lunch, man. Gospel conversation, right? See, boldness is naturally happens when we step out of faith to do this great work. As we come to John chapter 18, it's already late at night. In fact, it's late Thursday night. They think it's around 8 or 9 p.m. at night. He's just finished his great sermon, right? We know that the Passion Week started in John 12. 
And then by the time you get to Thursday, and John doesn't get into a lot of the details. All four gospels tell this story about the last week. And he has, John has his particular thing, and he doesn't get into all the details, but he gets right away to probably around Thursday evening where he begins to share this sermon. And we've talked about that because he's laying that I gotta go that another comes, so let your heart not be troubled. And he's going to the, he's saying, now abide in me so that, that I can bear much fruit with you. And he, he's talking about there's gonna be one who betrays him. He's talking about I gotta go that another come. That sermon ends with his prayer in John 17. So from chapters 13 to 17, he's giving this monologue and downloading all this stuff to the disciples. Judas by this time is already gone. And what we see here, he's sharing these words and now he's leaving that place. He's walking out the city. And this is where it brings us to John 18, right? We're here where he's gonna go to the garden to pray. Let's look at the scriptures, John 18, one through 14 this morning. It says this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook of Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas who betrayed him also knew the place Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas having received a detachment of troops, officers from the chief priests and Pharisees came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore knowing all things that would come upon him went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said them, to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when, he said to, now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And then when he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that, they, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having the sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off the right ear, the servant named Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink of the cup which my father has given me? Then the detachment of troops and the captain of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led them away uh, to Ananias, Ananias first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that he, it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. And I just pray, uh, Lord, this morning, as we're gathering in your name, Father, your Holy Spirit, speak this morning powerfully that our hearts will be ready to receive as we talk about what boldness looks like. Father, what that means for us today as we look at the life of Christ, we look at those who responded to it. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning, Lord, that we would grow, we would mature, we would develop into the disciples you're calling us to be, the followers of Jesus you're calling us to be as a church, as individuals, that we can touch our neighbors, our neighbors or anyone near us, Lord, that we love on them well. We thank you, we praise you, we honor you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, we're gonna look at a couple things this morning. Here's the first thing. Jesus was bold because his father was present. Jesus was bold because his father was present. When I was about 10 years old, you, I, know, I don't know if you know, some of you might know this part of my story. I know the other part. Um, I got really, really sick. In fact, um, I was pretty healthy. I was playing sports and all that, and I began to have a lot of bleeding noses. And for a while, I ended up waking up vomiting blood. And my parents didn't know what was going on. I got really weak. I didn't know what was happening. All these things were happening pretty extreme. In fact, it had gotten so bad 
that they ended up putting me in the hospital. I was in the hospital about six months. My nose was packed up because they couldn't figure out what was going on with me. I was getting really weak. I was getting, kind of losing a lot of weight. Um, and it was a hard time. It was a very difficult time for me. But what really sustained me was that the president, my dad, the presence of my dad was always there. He was always at the hospital. He was always taking me to the, the doctors. He was always doing all that. He was present in everything and everywhere that, I, that was happening. In fact, later they discovered that I had a tumor in the back of my nose the size of a golf, golf, golf ball and that they had to have surgery to remove it. And they did remove it and, and I was able to, to feel better. But I think when you look at the story of Jesus, he's coming to the darkest time in his ministry as he's going to get arrested to go to the cross. But the greatest thing about Jesus is he's in this garden and he's there to do ministry that no matter what happens, his father was present with him. He knew the presence of his father. He's going to a place that he would have been comforted by his father. He would often go to a place where he would be strengthened by his father. And I, and I think that's the feeling that Jesus has of why he can continue the mission that he had. He could carry on the mission. Had. No, no matter what happened, he was going to be victorious. No matter what happened, he was going to be more than a conqueror. Guys, I want you to understand as we're going to go out in about a couple of weeks to send you out, and you should already have that in your nature already as a faith person already going out. I'm, I'm only hoping that you're continuing on and be more intentional about that, that no matter where you're going and what God's going to do through you, God is present with you. God is there. And so you could have boldness in that. And so we see Jesus as he's going to the garden. He, he was bold in carrying out his mission because his father was present. Look at verse one. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over to the brook of Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. We see this journey that Jesus is having with the disciples, right? When Jesus spoke these words, only referencing the prayer, only referencing all the things he just shared right here, right? He's heading toward the Mount of Olives. He started down. Now he's going outside the city. He's walking down this hill. There's the Kidron Valley. He walks up to the Mount of Olives to the garden. And we see this Jesus playing off right here, right? That, that Kidron Valley is very important. When he went down there, right? The Kidron Valley is also known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat or the, the Valley of the Brook of Kidron. In fact, the word Kidron means murky or dark water. Why? This was the same place that over the years, remember in the temple, they would sacrifice offerings in the temple. They would cut lambs. They would do that. They're coming to the Passover to celebrate what happened in the Old Testament. They're being offerings. And when they would cut animals, there actually the blood would drain off the altar. And there was like this little, like a terrain or a little thing that the water would, the blood would go down the Kidron Valley and actually enter into Kidron Brook. And so when Jesus is walking down, he could see the murky water. He could see the water because it was the mixed with blood and water. I, I think he's only beginning to realize what's forthcoming as he would be the Lamb of God that would be sacrificed. It's also the same place where David, many years earlier, crosses the Kidron Valley, running away from his best friend, Ethelumli, I can't even pronounce his name. He's a, it's a funny, Ethelumli with Absalom, who was trying to take over his region, is crossing over this Kidron Valley. Why? Remembering the rebellion of his son and those against him who were trying to take over his kingdom. I think Jesus is saying, man, there's a rebellion going to come against me. 
here. I think it's the same place as he heads over the Kidron Valley and he heads up to the Mount of Olives to go to the garden. There's multiple cemeteries and tombstones there where Jews wanted to be buried because they know that God was going to come back. And he's thinking about the death. I think this is a peach picture that Jesus has. This is heading down this Kidron Valley, this rough, rocky terrain, right? Psalm 110, verse 7, I think Jesus is reminded, he says, he shall drink from the, the brook of Kidron or the cup of suffering. I think that's playing out in Jesus' mind as he's heading up through the valley, right? He says he enters into a garden. It doesn't say the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, when you head up the Mount of Olives, there were multiple gardens owned by different people. Jesus happened to have a blessings to enter the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know it's the Garden of Gethsemane because the other gospels share that it's the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he's in it. But the word garden, there were three gardens in the scriptures. Three gardens mentioned. The, the first garden is, is really the, the Garden of Eden, right? Where it, where it all began. In fact, the three gardens are really the representation of the gospel as a whole. Because the first garden is the Garden of Eden where we find Adam and Eve who fell and lost their authority that God had given them. God had given them a command to that everything is theirs, their dominion over all the earth. He given, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. For the day you eat it, you shall surely die. He gave them a can, but everything else is yours. He was the, the first Adam. And when they partook of the fruit of that tree, it said they became naked and they were ashamed. And that's where sin entered in, right? And they begin to cover up themselves with, with fig leaves. They tried, and they were shame and guiltful. And they begin to hide from God and God came to seek them out. And so the first Adam, Adam ushered in death because for the wages of sin is death. And we, we see that the first garden is really representation of fall and sin. The second garden we know is the garden of Gethsemane. It's, it's symbolic of sacrifice. Symbolic. Jesus is going to the garden where he prays. He's referred to as the second Adam, right? Submitting to the Father and doing the will of the Father and wanting to go after to return the authority by which the first Adam lost. In fact, Gethsemane, the garden of Gethsemane, the word Gethsemane means pressed oil or oil pressing. John doesn't give the descriptions of all that went on in the garden in the sense of the prayer time. Remember, Jesus went with the disciples and he, he, they were in the garden. They took James and John, uh, Peter, James, and John. You stay here and then I'm going to go just a throne stole away. And it's here where Jesus begins to feel the pressure of what is to come. He's being pressed in and he knows he's praying to God. His disciples are falling asleep on him. They're not paying attention because they're not being watchful and praying for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he's crying out to God. He says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But Jesus knows he's the only way. And Father knows he's the only way. There is no other way but through the cross. And we see the sacrifice, the pressing in of Jesus into his father. Guys, when the difficult times come and we feel the stress and the pressure and we feel the press of life, we feel the pressure of things going on, we got to press into the father. We got to press into Jesus. He knew the pressures and the weight because as he prayed, he cried blood and sweat and anxiety and all that, but he pressed in. Guys, as a church, we need to press into God. We need to press into the things of God. And then there was a third garden. It's the garden where he was buried. It says there was a tomb, and near the tomb, near the, the cross, there was a garden. It's, it's a symbol of resurrection. It's a symbol 
of hope. It's the tomb is where, this tomb is where Jesus rested when they buried him. And yet this is the same tomb that there was an earthquake that shook on his resurrection and rolled away the stone. There was a rolling stones even in the Old Testament. Okay. I'll be here later tonight to continue. This is the garden where Mary Magdalene came and she was the first one to see Jesus. He thought he was a gardener, but he was the resurrected king, right? And she's the one that told the disciples that Jesus resurrected. And this is the same tomb and garden that the disciples, James and John, come running in to see if this really happened. And there was such great hope. The hope of our eternity, the hope of our resurrection. So we have three gardens that Jesus, the scriptures would talk about. But this garden was special. This garden right here was a familiar place of the disciples. It would be a place that the Jesus and the disciples would go off in. It was a place they were familiar with. It was a place where they prayed. It was a place where Jesus taught. It was a place where they went. And Jesus knew that Judas would know that. He was counting on it. He was counting on it. They were familiar with this place. And as they got comfortable, had a special place. I just pray that you have a special place that you press into God with each day, that you pray and read. Guys, we're going to need that more than ever right now in this season and the times that we live on. But as, the, as Jesus is pressing in and God's preparing him for this great move to be bold in what he was about to share with the religious leaders and the troops that were coming and all that's going to happen in a moment, Judas was bold in his betrayal too. He was bold in his own mess. He was bold in his own. Look at verses two and three. It says, and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. Did he catch it? Ah, I know this place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples, and then Judas received a detachment of truce and offers from the chief priests and Pharisees and came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. We know that the Old Testament prophesied that Jesus would be numbered with the transgressors. And he was crucified by two criminals on a cross. But he was numbered for righteousness sake. Judas is numbered with transgressors for unrighteousness sake. He was, a, he, he was an apostate. He, he changed sides. He moved to the other side. He went to the dark side. For you Star Wars freaks. We know that Judas wasn't really a believer. Look at this. Look at, look at the history of Judas's life. Judas' boldness of pride throughout his life. Remember the false humility of when Mary Magdalene came to wash the feet of Jesus and he was upset. Why did you do that when we could have sold it and give it to the poor? Taking the money and give it to the poor. We know that Jesus was taking it from the till. He was stealing. He was embezzling the ministry, the money of the ministry and taking it for the work of ministry. Remember that, that Judas, Jesus' false worship. Jesus comes and offers them communion right? And he partook of it. Jesus offering a peace offering to him, and he, he went through the motions of it. In fact, there's a false submission. Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and Jesus was a recipient of that. So, oh yeah, letting God do the things that he's doing here. There was a false commitment, remember? He later leaves and sells out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver in, in Judas's story. He's the betrayer. Judas was so blind to the truth. Judas represents the religious church, the church without the Holy Spirit, 
without conviction, without holiness, without prayer. In fact, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. A kiss is a sign of an affection, affection of your love. In fact, the word worship means to, to throw a kiss. That Jesus went through all the motions, Judas went through all the motions of an apostate church. Come on, come on. Of an unfair biblical church un, just it's we have churches like that today now it's so easy as a church to judge the world right but i want you to understand before god judges the world he's going to judge the household of god we so easy want to throw rocks at all the crazy and there's crazy stuff going out there guys it's crazy right we live in a world that is bold against the things of god I'm not going to lie, I see it. We, in fact, uh, it parades and boasts of its sin and iniquity. It, it, it is a world that applauds evil. We live in a world that is veiled from the truth of God and, and they hated God because they didn't know him, the scripture says. But the scariest thing today is that the church can look like the world sometimes. That's the scariest thing. In Isaiah 44, 18, it says, they do not know nor understand for he has shut their eyes so they cannot see and their hearts so they cannot understand. What's the context of the prophet Isaiah? It's talking about God's people who couldn't discern good and evil. It's talking about how they grew a pine tree, an oak tree, I'm sorry. And then they would cut down their oak tree and they would use it to warm themselves. They would use the wood to cook and they would take the extra wood and they would carve out idols to worship and bow down and pray to. I think that's why in Isaiah 44, 19, he says what? And no, more, and, and no one considers his heart, nor is there knowledge, nor understanding to say. Like they couldn't even discern. I think we have to be careful, church, that we don't become so untouched with God that we can't discern which is good and which is evil. We can't. We, we, we could be so tasting and participating and drinking out of a wrong cistern, out of a wrong well. The greatest battle for the church is that the church doesn't drift away from God and from his first love. John writes about the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He says they did all the right thing. They, they, do, they knew all the doctrine. They do everything, but they lost their first love, their love for God. They went through the, the motions and God had turned around, the Lord spoke to us, says, I need you to repent and redo. <laughs> repent and redo. There's times where we're going to put ourselves in check, guys. Lord, forgive me. I, I, I straight off. I, I allow my pride to get away or my arrogance or whatever it is. God, this is your house. This is your work. Come on, come on. And so I think my challenge, the exhortation as your pastors, we cannot be caught asleep. Mm. Awaken church to what God wants us to do. Awaken, we, we have to be careful we're not lazy and apathetic and uncompassionate. Awaken, church, that we think we can just get away and God's grace is sufficient. Yes, God's grace is sufficient, but do we keep on sinning that grace may abound? God forbid, no. We have to walk in holiness and seeking in a love for God. I think sometimes we've lost our love for God because we sought after other things. We set up our own idols like, Israel did and worship other things instead of worship the true and living God. And so here Judas was a picture of that. The, the apostate church, a church that lost its first love. But understand, guys, that Jesus is on a, a mission. Here's the second thing this morning I want to share. Let's talk about being bold for the one. 
Jesus was bold with his faith. He was bold with his faith. Part of our journey is living out our faith every day. Living it out before the people, right? There are things we put on. The Bible says in Colossians, we put on hope and love and peace and compassion, but it also says put off anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. There are things we need to put on and things we need to put off. And God is renewing us day by day to do those very things. But he's called us to a faith walk, not a blind walk. We're not in blind faith, guys. We have an object of our faith. There was many years ago, I took my daughter to a camp, a father-daughter camp, and we did a thing um, that was a, a, a trust walk or a faith walk. And there was this obstacle course in the wilderness, right? And the, this, was the, this was the instructions that I was given to tell my daughter. They were going to blindfold my daughter, and I gave her three things that were going to happen. And these were the three things. Number one, I will always be with you. I'm always present, and I will always be with you. Here's the second thing. Listen to my voice only. Listen to my voice only. Third thing, you could ask me anything at any time. What my daughter and them didn't know as we're going through this trust walk is there were going to be other voices speaking to them. There are going to be other people trying to get their attention. They were going to get all these different things. And it's very amazing as I led my daughter through this obstacle course and the Sierras through trees and rocks and all they make her right, make her left. At a point, I would stop communicating direction. And she would have to continue to walk. It was at that point she had the right to ask any questions. But I, was, I cannot answer until she asked me a question. As we would do that, my daughter would say, Am I, do I go straight? And I would say, yes. And I, I could do that. But it was very interesting that when we came next to the end of the obstacles, during that time, people are talking, these other leaders are talking. And we come to the end, and one of the leaders says, okay, okay uh, Cassie, you can take off your, your, your mask now, we're done. And I, at that moment, there was a crossroads. But she didn't take off her mask. Hey, Cassie, you can take off your mask. The, the, this, this, the, this experiment is over. She didn't take off her mask. Until I say, Cassie, it was time to take off your mask. And then she took it off. See, the thing here was there were other kids when he said that did take off. There are other kids that didn't even ask questions and were going falling down hills. They were doing all these different things. See, this faith walk for us was that we had to be able to understand that God is present and that we have to discern his voice and listen to his voice only. That's part of our faith walk. It's part of our journey. And that we could call on his name and he will hear us and answer us. We could ask him and he will hear us and speak to us. That's part of our faith journey of how we go about walking this life out. That was the walk that Jesus had with his father. And so we see Jesus engage the darkness. Look at verse four, the beginning. It says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said, whom are you seeking? Jesus already knew what was ahead because he's all, he's all knowing. He, he, had a, he had this discernment. He had these words of knowledge, right? He knew the hearts of men. And we knew that throughout the times he did ministry. I know your hearts. We get angry at people when they had angry hearts. And he knew what he was going into, yet he didn't hide the fact. He wasn't hiding from the fact that he was going to get arrested, but actually he was engaging and getting ready to engage the darkness. I think of Daniel 6, the prophet Daniel during the time of captivity for seven years in Babylon. What did they do? They gave an edict that said, you can no longer pray openly. You can no longer pray. And what did Daniel do? He went to his place, opened up his windows and bowed down to the Lord three times a day and prayed. 
He didn't hide his fact. He didn't hide his faith. He, he was very open about his faith. He walked in faith, not boastfully, not arrogantly, not judgmentally. He just loved and walked in faith. And, and Jesus, we have to begin to allow our faith to be seen in what we do and, and how we live. In fact, verse three says that, they stated that Judas came with a detachment of men. The temple, attached with men, temple guards, carrying lanterns, torches, weapons. Here, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and this posse of this army led by Judas were coming to arrest Jesus at night with torches and lanterns and armed up. I think Judas thinking that he was gonna catch Jesus off guard and by surprise, but Jesus already knew what his plans were because early he said to him, go and do what you need to do, Judas. He already knew what he was going to do. He was already familiar with what he was going to do. He said that it was a detachment of troops that came. They were detachment. They have a different description of how many numbers, but it ranged between 200 and 600 men that could have been just with the troops. Not including the temple security and the temple guards and the Pharisees and all that came with him, right? And they came with lanterns and torches and weapons, they came with that in the night because maybe they believed that Jesus was going to hide from them and they were going to have to look in the garden to find him. Hmm. I want you to understand something this morning as we look at Jesus' life, what's going on in our own life. Christ's friends, Christ's friends were few and his enemies were many. Hmm. I wonder if that's why Jesus said very few find the narrow road and are called a friend of God. There are times there might be enemies of us as we walk in our faith and live out our faith. But when these guards come and this posse of 100 plus people coming to the garden at eight o'clock at night in the middle of dark carrying torches and weapons and lanterns, right? Jesus poses a question. Who are you seeking? Look at four again. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things would come to pass, went forward and said to them, who are you seeking? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. And when he said these things, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Ah, important question. I love this. Now Jesus is just engaging the darkness. He's just engaging the people in the moment at that time. Guys, when we go out, we're just going to engage in the moment. We're going to trust God to lead us in the moment. We're going to trust God to do what he does. And Jesus is letting this moment just play itself out, right? But he asked an important question. Who are you seeking? People are seeking something today. They're seeking things to satisfy. Only that was Solomon wrote that God set eternity in the hearts of men. Ecclesiastes chapter three, I believe. He says eternity, that there's only one thing that can set peace to the heart and that's God. That was the whole message of, of Solomon, right? And in the book Ecclesiastes was to love and obey God's command and to love him. The rest of it's all vanity, right? The world is seeking after things. It's trying to seek acceptance. It's trying to seek pleasure. It's trying to seek fulfillment. It's, it's trying to seek money. It's trying to seek whatever it's seeking. It's actually religious. They're seekers of something. And these men came seeking Jesus. They came seeking Jesus for the wrong reason, but they came seeking Jesus. And Jesus said, well, who are you seeking? Oh, Jesus of Nazareth. And they said that because Nazareth was his home by which he grew up. Yeah, he was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth and growing up in Nazareth was in reference to his humanity because nothing good could come out of Nazareth. 
And so they didn't see him as the son of God. They didn't see him as the, the one who came to be the rescuer. They just saw him as a, another man. And I love this. Jesus said, I am he. In fact, the translation of that verse, the word he is not there. It just says, I am. I am. Ego imi. I am. What is Jesus doing? Declaring his deity. I am. We find that same translation, Exodus chapter 3. I am Moses. Who, who should I say? Moses said to the burning bush, I am sent you. Through the gospel of John, he's been dealing with his I am statements. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. He's been expressing who he is. That's the purpose of the gospel of John is, I am God. Yeah. And these men are coming and the power and the presence of Jesus when he said, I am, poof, boo, they all fell back. They all, the presence of God, man, I just pray one day, the presence of God hits us so hard, but I want you to fall back because who fell back? The enemy fell back, right? The enemy fell, I, I, I'm only picturing they're coming with lanterns and torches and swords, boom, where are the lanterns and torches going? In the middle of the night, they're just flying ever. It's like a domino effect happening. Boom, 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 boom. They're just being laid out, right? What a sight to see. I think the same thing happened to Saul, right? Saul on his way to persecute the church on the road to Damascus. He runs into the light, which is Jesus, the light of Jesus. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the light knocked him back off his horse. And he went blind until a man named and I just came over and got his sight back. See, I'm just going to make a speculation. I could be wrong. Those falling back were unbelievers. And people get into slain the spirit, all that. But anytime I see falling back is when God was dealing with an unbelieving heart. Because when you look at the author of this book, who also wrote the author of the book of Revelation, which is John, when he came into the presence of Jesus, the Bible says that he fell forward on his face as if dead. God wants us at the feet of Jesus on our face before him because his holiness and his presence and his power. Oh, Lord, I worship you. I worship you. And in that whole moment, Jesus, Judas is with them, leading the way. He stood with them, it says. He, he held his ground. You know, we can hold our ground in the hardness of our own hearts. We can hold our position of a lot of things that may not even be good things. We could be stubborn. And, and I think the stubbornness and the hardness of Judas' heart means he held his ground. He held his foot of his own belief and not believing in Jesus. I'm going to tell you something this morning. Everybody's making a stance or something. You're making a stance for something. The world's making a stance for they're They're showing signs. They're writing on social media. They're making a stance for something. But is that something bringing life or death? Hmm. Judas would later, later regret his actions. He felt remorse, but he never repented and hung himself. He never repented and turned to God. And then Jesus turns around and asks the same question twice in verses seven through nine. Then he asked them again. I love this. 
I think there was a pause in the moment because I think the guys are trying to get their wits together, right? As they're kind of, you know, there's 600 plus guys trying to get, get up off the ground and trying to find their swords and their, their torches and their lanterns. They're getting up. He asked them, who are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I have, have I told you that I am he? And therefore you seek me, let these go their way that they say might be filled, which was spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost none. God asked this question again to those that came to arrest him, but it's more emphatic when he said, did I not just tell you that I am he? Like he's pressing into them. I think that maybe Jesus' pause was that maybe they, when they got up, maybe they thought that would be a great time for Jesus to run away. They're laid out, he's going to escape out. But he didn't because he knows his mission. But in the midst of all that was coming against Jesus, in the midst of all that was happening, Jesus made a request. Are you going to take me? Let these other guys go. I, I've, I have all of them, but none of them, none of them I have lost, Jesus said. He's looking out for the disciples. I want you to understand that when these, these, this cohort or these troops came with the Pharisees, the, all these came, they didn't just come to arrest Jesus. They actually came to arrest the disciples with Jesus, right? In fact, you don't see that in the Gospel of John, but in the Gospel of Mark, we do see that. In fact, when we're going to story in a minute, but when Peter pulls out his sword to cut off the high priest's servant, it says that they went after the disciples, how do we know that? Because it tells us a little story in the latter part of Mark about a young man named John Mark. John Mark is about 10 years old at the time. He's the author of the gospel, Mark. This is the Mark that traveled to Paul on a missionary journey who abandoned Paul and later would join Paul later. This is the Mark that they believe the upper room that he met was actually at John Mark's house where they did the Lord's Supper. So John Mark had been watching all they'd been traveling. So when Jesus traveling down the Kidron Valley, walking up to the garden, John Mark is there. And what happens is now he sees Peter cut the ear of Malchus. The soldiers start embracing what's happening. And guess what? The Bible says that they tried to grab John Mark and that they grabbed his cloak. They grabbed his garment and John actually ran out of his clothes, butt naked and ran. It says he ran out naked. The first streaker in the Bible. That they were, they, were gonna, they were actually going after all of them. And Jesus said, no, no, no. If you're going to take me, you let these other go. Let these other go. Listen, he's giving them a command. And Peter was bold in his own flesh. <laughs> Peter was bold in his own flesh. He had, Peter had this zeal, right? He was kind of like, we had another guy named Simon the Zealot, Peter the Zealot, right? And he had a, he had a zealot. He, he hated the Roman government before he joined the, the disciples and he wanted to, to destroy the Roman government. That's why Matthew and Simon were so opposed to each other because Matthew worked for the Roman government who, and, and Simon was against the Roman government. But they had a zeal. That, I believe that zeal is like extremism without love. 
We have, we have, we have extremists in our culture and in religion that, that have no love, but they're extreme with their faith that there's no love and lacking love. And so Peter in his own flesh begins to pull out his sword. Look what it says in verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off the right ear. And the servant name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Peter trying to, to defend Jesus, right? Like, Jesus needs our defense, right? Peter was an impulsive leader. He was an impulsive disciple, right? Jesus spoke about his death many times. It would happen. The first time he shares, hey, I'm going to die. Peter said, no way are you going to die. And then Jesus said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine that? Peter calling you Satan? Dude, get out of my way. And then he shares he's going to die again. And Peter said, if you're going to die, I'm going to die with you. And maybe that's the motive by which he's pulling out his seat and trying to attack and trying to defend Jesus. But I want you to tell you something right now. The weapon of our warfare is not carnal. This ain't liberation theology where I'm going to go to war to get liberated. I love John. John personalizes the story by mentioning the name of the man whose ear got cut off because it was a real event. It said he, he cut off his right ear. Now, I want you to see this picture. You have the guards all there. Jesus, they're engaging Jesus. Maybe Peter's right there. He pulls out his sword and he cuts off the right ear. Now, I want you to catch this picture. If Malchus is facing Peter, that means he's coming across the body. Boom. Getting to the right ear. No wonder he missed the head. He was a fisherman. That's why he caught the ear. Right? Some think, well, he had to come across the body to get the ear. But could there be another reason? Because Malchus wasn't a soldier. He was serving the high priest. Maybe Malchus was turning his back and Peter went and cut him this way and caught the right ear from the backside. Because maybe Peter was as courageous as he thought as he's attacking a servant and not a soldier. He, he's attacking the, 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 the lesser of the person there. Who's telling this story? We don't see this in the gospel, John. We see it in the gospel, Luke, who's the great physician, who sees it from a perspective of a physician. And the, and the crazy thing about all that was that Jesus heals Malchus' ears after that happens. He heals the ear. Luke talks about how he healed the ear. That was really important because if Malchus ear and didn't get healed, they had every right to arrest the disciples, Jesus and Peter, and crucify him. He wouldn't have been any different than Barabbas. He wouldn't have been any different than Barabbas. And so Jesus has to confront and correct Peter. Put that thing away, Peter. Right? Matthew says, You don't live by this, you don't live by the sword, you're gonna die by the sword. He wasn't giving praise for Peter's action, right? The only sword we're going to be using today is the sword of the Spirit. That's the only sword we're going to be using, right? I don't think the reason why Peter reacted in such zeal that he wasn't prepared. We talked about prayer being preparation, right? We talked about Jesus preparing for the work he needs to do, and he went to prayer. What was happening with Peter in the prayer time? He was falling asleep. That's why he says, guys, can't you just stay awake for one hour? So when it came down for that moment to engage, he wasn't prepared. And out of his grogginess, waking up, the troops show up, all these things happen. He's like, it's like, whoa, let me tell you something. Be careful. If you're not prepared, you're going to strike out on people 
and hurt people. If you're not walking in the spirit, you're going to strike out and wound your wife, wound your children, room your bot, you're the bosses or whoever people come. Be careful that in your own flesh, you're not striking out and wounding people because you can't control your temper or can't control your moods. Because when you're not in the presence of God, then God can't do the work of God and prepare you for the day because you're going to have opposition today, wherever it might be in your job, pressures, life, everything. If you're not prepared, you're going to be striking people and wounding people. And then God's got to go clean up our mess. So we have to be careful of that. But more than that, Peter, you want to take on 500 men, 600 men? You couldn't even pray for one hour. In fact, Matthew's gospel says, Peter, says Matthew's God, Peter, don't you know I could bring down 12 legions of angels? 12 legions of angels. One legion of angel is 6,000 angels. That would have been 72,000 angelic warriors from heaven he could have brought down. In 2 Kings 19, we read about how one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. Peter, don't you know how to call down angels? Your little sword ain't going to stop what's going to happen. Right? Listen, Peter, don't you know I have to drink from the cup of suffering? And this cup comes from the Father. He's talking about his death his resurrection. Peter, don't you know that I got to go to the cross? See, the cross was a mystery to the ruling part of the day, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was a mystery, right? Paul writes this in Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, 8. No, the wisdom we speak of is this mystery of God. His plan was his plan that was previously hidden. It was a mystery. Even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began, so go ahead God planned this whole thing at the beginning of creation. But the rulers of this world, the Pharisees, religious people, rulers of this did not, did not understand it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. If they knew what the plan was, they wouldn't have been in the garden. And so we see that plane played out. Peter, I got to go through this. This is part of the plan. And then he closes with the fact that Jesus' boldness put him in chains. There's going to be opposition to it. We see that in verses 12 to 14. If you look at Joseph's story, he was sold in slavery, bound. He's, he was falsely accused of rape, bound, right? But his bound, his binding, was for God's people. Because later he had rise second under Pharaoh during the famine. And we often think of Joseph's story as being like, why did the baker and all of them forget about him in prison all this period of time and God was working out the plan? God was working it all out for the right time for Joseph to come to second, right? We see that being played out. Paul, for the gospel, was bound preaching. He actually said that these chains are for, my, for the benefit of the gospel, he said. They're the benefit for, that I'm in here that the gospel could be spread. I think of Corey Tenboom, who you might know her history, who hid Jews that were going to be persecuted during the Holocaust, and she got busted for it, and she got put in a concentration camp. She got bound and had to live in that experience and ticks all over her body, and she said, God, what's going on? And then by a miracle, she got out of the concentration camp and traveled all around the world telling her story because she was bound to spread the gospel. 
Listen, today you guys were set free because at one point you were bound by your sin and inequity and craziness and mental depression, addiction, whatever it may be. And God says, I'm taking your bounds and using your story to preach the gospel. That is our story. That is what God's doing. But Jesus needs to be bound for our benefits. The captain's guards bound him. Look at 12. Then they attached the troops and the captains, the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annapolis, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest. You know what? You could see miracles in your hearts don't change. Here they're going to arrest him even after they fell back. Even after Jesus claiming who he was, the troops and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were all like, no response. The word bound means to, to tie, to bind, or to fasten with change. It's a picture of a fallen people, right? They wanted to bind Jesus because they were afraid of him. They wanted to bind him to afflict him. They wanted to bind him to shame him. They wanted to bind him to condemn him. They wanted to bind him to crucify him. They were trying to control him. You can't bind the gospel. You cannot bind Jesus. Come on. But we were bound by an enemy Amen. at the fall, bound by our own sin and shame and guilt and addictions and bitterness and unforgiveness. We were bound, but then hope came. <laughs> hope came. It came to set the captives free. Isaiah 61, later, Jesus would quote it in Matthew. The Spirit of the Lord came. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to bring liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And he says he led them to Anna, the high priest. He was like the head, the high priest of the day. He later would pass it on to Caiaphas, his son-in-law. He actually had other sons that would become high priests. But a very interesting thing, Jesus is always stirring it up. As he was the high priest, you remember, two times in the gospel, we'll see it later, we'll see it in John. Remember? Jesus goes into the temple and turns tables. He does it at the beginning of his ministry, and he does it at the end of his ministry. And so Ananias would have been very familiar who Jesus was because he was the troublemaker ripping off his pockets because the high priests were gaining money by the selling of pigeons and doves and sacrifices. They were taxing more money and they were taking their money and put it in the pocket. And Jesus was being bold to stand in the darkness in the midst of Annas and said, and he, Annas would have known who he was. Oh, you're the dude that's taking money out of my pocket. And he comes to Annas and being bold. Later, he'll be sent to, to Caiaphas. But we see here is when they bound him, he went and he submitted to that process. He didn't fight it. The submission of Jesus to go to the cross, that took courage and boldness to do that. That was full surrender and trusting his father. This is the beginning of the unjust trial of Jesus. But Jesus is confident how this will play out. <laughs> And later, later he'll stand before Caiaphas. But guess what? He was bound to fulfill the scriptures. 14, as we close, now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Earlier in John 11, they're troubled by the work of God. And they come to the high priest Caiaphas, and he tells them in John eleven fifty. Nor do you consider that it's speeding for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did to say on his own authority, 
Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. He is speaking truth, and he didn't even know he was speaking truth. God will use the unbelieving person to perform his work. He was an unbelieving nation to complete his work of salvation. The gospel is the good news for all, and it was expedient that Christ would die for all. Amen. That's our hope. That's our hope today. So I leave you as we come, partake of communion now, and the team worship team comes, and John comes this morning. I just want to remind you, is the boldness for that one, guys. First of all, boldness comes in knowing that God is present with us. Guys, when we go out, God is with us when we go out to share. God is with us when we tell people about God. Second thing, boldness is needed when taking risk of our faith. Guys, it is scary to take steps of faith, to talk to somebody you don't know, or do any of those things. It's, it's a scary problem. Some of us have never even done that before. But I just encourage you to tell your story. And lastly, boldness is needed to set the captives free. Your, your story can free, somebody's, free somebody from somebody else's hell. Come on, come on. Your story can deliver somebody from somebody else's hell, the gospel story. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for the work that you're doing here, Lord. And I just pray your hand upon the work you're doing here in this place. Lord, I just pray that the people have heard your word. Lord, I pray this morning that as we go out, understanding you're with us, because you promise you'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so we walk humbly before our God to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We thank you, we praise you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.